Bill of Rights, Freedom of Expression, Concept and Scope. No law shall be passed abridging the freedom of speech of expression or of the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and petition the government for redress of grievance, Section 4, Article 3. All forms of communication are entitled to the broad protection of the freedom of expression uh, clause, whether oral, written, tape, or this recorded. Easter Broadcasting Corporation versus Dance. This right occupies the highest preferred position in the hierarchy of civil liberties, the Lysis of Bukolod versus Comelec. Uh, hierarchy of civil uh, liberties. The freedom of expression and the right of peaceful assembly are superior to property rights. Philippine Blooming Mills Employment Organization versus Philippine Blooming Mills Company. Chilling effect is used in the area of uh, constitutional litigation affecting protected speech, Southern Hemisphere uh, Engagement uh, Network versus Anti-Terrorism Council. Under Section 18, no person shall be detained solely by reason of his political beliefs and aspirations. In Section 8, the right of the people, including those employed in the public and private sectors, to form unions, associations, or societies for purposes that contrary to law shall not be abridged. In the issues of a colon, petitioners are not candidates, neither do they belong to any political party. Comelec does not have the authority to regulate the enjoyment of the preferred rights to freedom of expression exercised by a non-candidate in this case. While it is true that the present petition assails not a law but an opinion by the Comelec Law Department, this court has applied Article 3, Section 4 of the Constitution even to governmental acts, continuum of thoughts, speech, expression, and speech acts. The right to freedom of expression applies to the entire continuum of speech from utterances made to conduct enacted and even to inaction itself as a symbolic manner of communication. In Ibranilag versus the Division Superintendent of Schools of Cebu, uh, Justice Cruz discussed how the uh, salute is a symbolic manner of communication and a valid form of expression. Freedom of speech includes the right to be silent. Aptly has it been said that the Bill of Rights that guarantee to the individual the liberty to utter what is in his mind also guarantees to him the liberty not to utter what is not in his mind. The salute is a symbolic manner of communication that conveys its message as clearly as the written or spoken word. As a valid form of expression, it cannot be compelled any more than it can be prohibited in the face of valid religious objections like those raised in this petition to impose it on the petitioners is to deny them the right not to speak when the religion bids them to be silent. This coercion of conscience has no place in the free society. The form of expression is just as important as the information conveyed it forms part of the expression. The present case is in point. It is easy to discern why size matters. First, it enhances efficiency of communication. Second, the size of the tarpaulin may underscore the importance of the message to the reader. Third, larger spaces allow for more messages. Larger spaces, therefore, may trans translate to more opportunities to amplify, explain, and argue points which the speakers might want to communicate. These points become more salient when it is the electorate, not the candidates or the political parties that speaks. Large tarpaulins, therefore, are not analogous to time and place. They are fundamentally part of the expression protected under Article 3, Section 4. 
purposes of free speech doctrines. There are several theories and school, uh, and school of thoughts that strengthen the need to protect the basic right to freedom of expression. First, this relates to the right of the people to participate in public affairs, including the right to criticize government actions. Proponents of the political theory on deliberately democracy submit that substandard, open, and ethical dialogue is a critical and indeed defining feature of good polity. Second, free speech should be encouraged under the concept of a marketplace of ideas. This theory was articulated by Justice Holmes in that the ultimate goal desired is better reached by the free trade in ideas. Third, free speech involves a self-expression that enhances human dignity. This right is a means of assuring individual self-fulfillment among others. Fourth, expression is a marker for group identity. Fifth, the Bill of Rights, free speech included, is supposed to protect individuals and minorities against majoritarian abuses perpetrated through the framework of democratic governance. Lastly, free speech must be protected under the safety valve theory. This provides that non-violent manifestations of dissent reduce the likelihood of violence. This court has held free speech and other intellectual freedoms as highly ranked in our scheme of constitutional values. These rights enjoy precedence and primacy. In the hierarchy of civil liberties, the right of free expression and of assembly occupy a preferred position as they are essential to the preservation and vitality of our civil and political institutions, and such priority gives these liberties to sanctify uh, or, uh, liberties the sanctity and the sanction not permitting dubious intrusions. The primordial right calls for utmost respect, more so when what may be curtailed is the dissemination of information to make more meaningful the equality vital right of suffrage. Balance between unbridled expression and liberty. Restriction on speech may be resorted to by the state for reasons of public order, national security, and other situations which impel the government to repress the freedom of speech. Freedom of press has four aspects. Freedom from prior restraint or censorship, freedom from punishment subsequent to publication, freedom of access to information, and freedom of circulation. Prior restraint refers to official governmental restrictions of the press or other forms of expression in advance of actual publication or dissemination. Freedom from prior restraint is largely freedom from government censorship of publications, whatever the form of censorship, and regardless of whether it was wielded by the executive, legislative, or judicial branch of the government. Thus, it precludes governmental acts that required approval of a proposal to publish, licensing, or permits as requisites to publication, including the the payment of license taxes for the privilege to publish and even injunctions against publication. Even the closure of the business and printing offices of certain newspapers resulting in the discontinuation of their printing and the publication uh, are deemed as previous restraint or censorship. Any law or official or official that requires uh, some uh, form of permission to be had before publication can be made commits an infringement of the constitutional right and remedy can uh, had be the court to the courts. One. In Chavez, the court struck down the statement made by then the OJ Secretary Gonzalez and the NTC warning the media on airing the alleged wide, uh, wiretap telephone conversation of then-President Arroyo as constituting unconstitutional prior restraint on the exercise of free speech and of the press. In Primicias, the city mayor of Manila's refusal to issue permit for a public assembly was held to have violated the freedom of expression. 
In ABS-CBN Broadcasting Corporation versus Comelec, the court held that the Comelec resolution totally prohibiting the conduct of exit polls in the guise of promoting clean, honest, orderly, and credible elections was annulled as the same is an absolute infringement of the constitutionally guaranteed rights of the media and the electorate. In Sanidad versus Comelec, a provisions and Comelec resolution prohibiting the media to allow the use of a column or radio or television time to campaign for or against the plebiscit issues as regards the rec uh, ratification of the act establishing the Dakar was declared null in void and unconstitutional by the court as the same restricts without justifiable reason the choice of forum where one may express his view tantamount to a restriction of the freedom of expression. In the bid, the court declared as unconstitutional the warrantless search of the daily tribune offices, the seizure of materials for publication therein, the stationing of policemen in the vicinity, and the arrogant warning of the government officials to media, among others, pursuant to President Arroyo, uh, PP number 1017 and uh, General Order number 5, as the said acts constitute plain censorship. There is prior restraint when the government totally prohibits and or in some way restricts the expression of one's view or the manner of expressing oneself. There is none in this case. No other interpretation can be had of respondents' pronouncement except that for being a reminder of prevailing provisions of the law and jurisprudence applicable to all and not only to media personalities that resistance or disobedience to local orders of authorities may result to criminal and even administrative liabilities. Content-based and content-neutral regulation Content-based restraint regulates the message or idea, distorts public debate, improper motivation, imposed out of fear on how people will react to a particular speech. Osminia versus Commission on Elections Example, maximum tolerance of uh, pro-government demonstrations. A content-based regulation is given the strictest uh, scrutiny. The challenge acts must be subjected to the clear and present danger tests. Chavez versus Gonzalez. While content-neutral uh, regulation regulates the time, place, or manner without affecting the content. Osminia versus Commission on Election. A content-neutral regulation merely controls the time, place, or manner. Only a substantial government interest is required for its validity. An intermediate approach is applied. The regulation is justified if it furthers an important governmental interest and the restriction is not greater than necessary. Chapez versus Gonzalez. The right to freedom of expression is indeed not absolute. Even some forms of protected speech are still subject to some restrictions. The degree of restriction may depend on whether the regulation is content-based or content-neutral. Content-based regulation can either be based on the viewpoint of the speaker or the subject of the expression. Content-based restraint or censorship or censorship refers to restrictions based on the subject matter of the adherence of speech. In contrast, content-neutral regulation includes controls merely on the incidence of the speech such as time, place, or manner of the speech. Content-based regulation bears a heavy presumption of invalidity, and this court has used the clear and present danger rule as a measure. Under this rule, the evil consequence sought to be prevented must be substantive, extremely serious, and the degree of imminence extremely high. 
Even with the clear and present danger test, respondents fail to justify the regulation. There is no compelling and substantial state interest endangered by the posting of the tarpaulin as to justify curtailment of the right of freedom of expression. There is no reason for the state to minimize the right of non-candidate petitioners to post the tarpaulin in their private property. The size of tarpaulin does not affect anyone else's constitutional rights. If we apply the test of content neutral regulation, the question asks of Kamelek will not pass the three requirements of a evaluating such restraints on freedom of speech. When the speech restraints take the form of a counter-neutral regulation, only a substantial governmental interest is required for its validity and it is subject only to intermediate approaches. The, this intermediate approach is based on the test that we have prescribed in several cases. A content-neutral government regulation is sufficiently justified. If it is within the constitutional power of the government, if it is for, uh, if it furthers an important or substantial uh, governmental uh, interest, if the governmental interest is unrelated to the suppression of free expression, and if the incident restriction on alleged freedom of speech and expression is no greater than is essential to the furtherance of the interests. On the first requisite, it is not within the constitutional powers of the Kamelek to regulate the tarpaulin. On the second requirement, not only must the government interest be important or substantial, it must also compelling as to justify the restrictions made. Compelling governmental interest would include constitutionally declared principles. The third requisite is likewise lacking. We look not only at the legislative intent or motive in imposing the restriction, but more so at the effects of such restriction. If implemented, the restriction must not be narrowly tailored to achieve the purpose. It must be demonstrable. It must allow alternative avenue for the actor to make speech. In this case, the size regulation is not unrelated to the suppression of speech. Limiting the maximum size of the tarpaulin would render ineffective petitioner's message and violate the right to exercise freedom of expression. The restriction in the present case does not pass even the lower test or intermediary scrutiny for content-neutral regulation. Incitement and advocacy. There are two categories of speech, the latter of which is a more specific type of the former, which is directed to produce imminent lawless action and which is likely to incite or produce such action. Specificity of regulation and overbreath doctrine. Under this doctrine, the statute must be carefully drawn or uh, be authoritatively construed to punish only unprotected speech and not be susceptible to application to protected expression. Test for valid exercise of freedom of expression. Clear and present danger test. Danger created must not only be clear and present but also traceable to the ideas expressed. Gonzalez versus Comelec. The evil consequence of the speech must be extremely serious and the degree of imminence extremely high before it can be punished. Second, balancing of interest test. When two legitimate values not involving national security crimes uh, compete, the public interest sought to be protected and the social value and importance of the freedom are to be judged by a range of factors such as the social values and importance of the speech, the specific trust of the restriction, whether it is direct or indirect, and whether the persons affected are few, the nature and gravity of the evil sought to be prevented, whether restriction is appropriate and is and whether the public interest may be safeguarded by other less restrictive means. Only the original user of cyberspace who posted a libelous statement on cyberspace should be held liable for libel. 
to penalize those in the social media who share it with others for aiding or abetting the commission of the offense will have a chilling effect on them. Under the culture of social media, the readers think little or absurdly of their response. Dicini versus Secretary of Justice. A facial invalidation of a statute is allowed only in free uh, speech cases wherein certain rules of constitutional litigation are lightly accepted. The doctrine of weakness and the doctrine of overbreadth do not operate on the same plane. A statute or act suffers from the defect of weakness when it lacks comprehensible standards that mean of common intelligence must necessarily guess at its meaning and differ as to its application. It is repugnant to the Constitution in two respects. One, it violates the due process for failure to accord persons, especially the parties targeted by it, fair notice of the conduct to avoid. And two, it leaves law enforcers unbridled discretion in carrying out its provisions and becomes an arbitrary flexing of the government muscle. The overbreadth doctrine, meanwhile, decrees that a governmental purpose to control or prevent activities constitutionally subject to state regulation may not be achieved by means which sweep unnecessarily broadly and thereby invade the area of protected freedoms. As distinguished from the weakness doctrine, the overbreadth doctrine assumes that individuals will understand what a statute prohibits and will accordingly refrain from that behavior even though some of it is protected or some of it is protected. Official challenge is likewise different from an as-applied challenge, distinguished from an as-applied challenge which considers only extant facts affecting reality guns. If facial invalidation is an examination of the entire law, pinpointing its flaws and defects, not only on the basis of its actual operation to the parties, but also on the assumption of prediction that its very existence may cause other not before the court to refrain from constitutionally protected speech or activities. The weakness and overbreadth doctrines as grounds for the facial challenge are not applicable to penal laws. The allowance of a facial challenge in free speech cases is justified by the aim to avert the chilling effect on protected speech, the exercise of which should not at all times be abridged. This rationally is inapplicable to plain penal statutes that generally bear an uh, interorum effect in uh, deterring socially harmful conduct. By its nature, the overbreadth doctrine has to necessarily apply facial type of invalidation in order to plot areas of protected speech inevitably almost always uh, under situations that before the court that are impermissibly swept by the substantially overbroad regulation, otherwise treated as statute cannot be properly analyzed for being substantially overbroad if the court confines itself only to facts as applied to the litigants. The most distinctive features of the overbreadth te uh, technique is that it marks an exception to some of the usual rules of constitutional litigation. Ordinarily, a particular litigant claims that a statute is unconstitutional as applied to him or her. If the litigant prevails, the courts carve away the unconstitutional aspects of the law by invalidating its improper applications on a case-to-case -case basis. Moreover, challengers to a law are not permitted to raise the rights of third parties and can only assert their own interests in overbreadth analysis. Those rules give uh, way. Challenges are permitted to raise the rights of a third parties and that the court invalidates the entire statute on its face, not merely as applied for, so that the overbreadth law becomes unenforceable until a proper, uh, properly authorized court constructs it more narrowly. In this jurisdiction, the void for weakness doctrine asserted under the due process clause has been utilized in examining the constitutionality of criminal statutes. 
in insisting on a facial challenge on the implication that the law penalizes speech, petitioners contend that the element of unlawful demand in the definition of terrorism must necessarily be transmitted through some form of expression protected by the free speech clause. The argument does not persuade what the law seeks to penalize is conduct, not speech. Speech Regulation in Relation to Election in Adyong vs. Comelec, the Comelec provision on posting of decals and stickers on mobile places, whether public or private, except in designated areas provided for by the Comelec itself, is null and void on constitutional grounds. First, the prohibition unduly infringes on the citizens' fundamental right of free speech enshrined in the Constitution. There is no public interest substantial enough to warrant the kind of restriction involved in this case. All of the protection expressed in the Bill of Rights are important, but we have accorded to free speech the status of a preferred freedom. We have also ruled that the preferred freedom of expression calls uh, all the more for the utmost respect when what may be curtailed is the dissemination of information to make more meaningful the equally vital right of suffrage. When faced with the borderline situation where freedom to speak by a candidate or party and freedom to know on the part of the electorate are invoked against actions intended for maintaining clean and free elections, the police, local officials, and COMELEC should lean in favor of freedom, for in the ultimate analysis, the freedom of the citizen and the state's power to regulate are not antagonistic. There can be no free and honest elections if in the efforts to maintain them, the freedom to speak and the right to know are unduly curtailed. In the case of National Press Club versus Comelec, it ruled that regulation of election activity has its limits. We examine the limits of regulation and not the limits of free speech. Regulation of election campaign activity may not pass the test of validity. 1. If it is too general in its terms or not limited in time and scope in its application. 2. If it restricts one's expression of belief in a candidate or one's opinion of his or her qualifications. 3. If it cuts off the flow of media reporting. and 4. If the regulatory measure bears no clear and reasonable nexus with the constitutionally sanctioned objective. Here, the posting of decals and stickers in mobile places like cars and other moving vehicles does not endanger any substantial government interest. There is no clear public interest threatened by such activities so as to justify the curtailment of the cherished citizens' rights of free speech and expression. The right to property may be subject to a greater degree of regulation, but when this right is joined by a liberty interest, the burden of justification on the part of the government must be exceptionally convincing and irreputable. The burden is not met in this case. Speech regulation in relation to media. In David versus Arroyo, the best gates of a free and democratic society rest in the degree of freedom enjoyed by its media. The search and seizure of materials for publication, the stationing of policemen in the vicinity of the Delhi Tribune offices, and the arrogant warning of government officials to media are plain censorship. It is that officious functionary of the repressive government who tells the citizen that he may speak only if allowed to do so, and no more and no less than what is permitted to say on pain of punishment should be uh, or should he be so rash as to disobey. Undoubtedly, the Delhi Tribune was subjected to this arbitrary intrusion because of its anti-government sentiments. This court cannot tolerate the blatant disregard of a constitutional right, even it involves the most defiant of our citizens. Freedom to comment on public affairs is essential to the vitality of the representative democracy. It is the duty of the courts to be watchful for the constitutional rights of the citizens and against any stilty encroachment thereon, the motto should always be obsta principi principius. 
Judicial Analysis, Presumption, and Levels and Types of Scrutiny The power to exercise prior restraint is not to be presumed, rather the presumption is against its validity in Gonzalez v. Katigbak, in Nicolas Lewis v. Comelec, at issue are Section 36.A of RA-9189 as amended by RA-10590 and Section 74, uh, Paragraph 8 of the Comelec Resolution Number 135, which prohibit the engagement of any person in partisan political activities abroad during the 30-day overseas voting period. Official review of law or statute encroaching upon the freedom of speech on the ground of overbreadth or weakness is acceptable in our jurisdiction. Under the overbreadth doctrine, a proper governmental purpose constitutionally subject the, to state regulation may not be achieved by means that unnecessarily sweep its subject broadly, thereby invading the area of protected freedoms. On the other hand, a law of statute suffers from weakness when it lacks comprehensible standards that men of common intelligence must necessarily guess at its meaning and defer to its application. The allowance of a review of law or statute on its face in free speech cases is justified by the aim to avert the chilling effect on protected speech, the exercise of which should not at all times be abridged. Restraints on freedom of expression are also evaluated by either or a combination with the following theoretical test to it. A. The dangerous tendency doctrine which were used in early Philippine case laws. B. The clear and present danger rule which was generally adhered to in more recent cases and the balancing of interest tests which was also recognized in our jurisprudence. When the speech restraints take the form of content-neutral regulation, only a substantial governmental interest is required for its validity. Because regulation of this type are not designed to suppress any particular message, they are not subject to the strictest form of judicial scrutiny, but an intermediate approach somewhere between the mere rationality that is required by any other law and the compelling interest standard applied to content-based restrictions. As explained in Chavez, 1. A content-based regulation is evaluated using the clear and present danger rule. Second, while courts will subject content-neutral restraints to intermediary or intermediate scrutiny. Section 36.8 of RA-9189 as amended by RA-10590 is an impermissible content-neutral regulation for being overbroad by violating thus the free speech clause under Section 4 of Article 3. The question provision is clearly a restraint on one exercise of the right to campaign or disseminate campaign-related information. The restraint, however, partakes of a content-neutral regulation as it merely involves a regulation of the incidence of the expression, specifically the time and place to exercise the same. The intermediate approach has been formulated in this manner. A governmental regulation is sufficiently justified. 1. If it is within the constitutional power of the government. 2. If it furthers an important or substantial governmental interest. 3. If the governmental interest is unrelated to the suppression of free expressions. And 4. If the incident restriction is not greater than is essential to the furtherance of the interest of that interest. Our point of inquiry focuses on the fourth criterion in the said intermediate test, that is, that the regulation should be no greater than what is essential to the furtherance of the governmental interest. By banning partisan political activities or campaigning even during the campaign period within embassies, consulates, and other foreign service establishments, regardless of whether it applies only to candidates or whether the prohibition extends to private persons, it goes beyond the objective of maintaining order during the voting period ensuring a credible election. To be sure, there can be no legally acceptable justification whether measured against the strictest scrutiny or the most lenient review to absolutely or unqualifiedly disallow one to campaign within our jurisdiction during the campaign period. 
the uh, the section of uh, RA 9189 should be struck down for being overbroad as it does not provide for well-defined standard resulting to the ambiguity of its application which produces a chilling effect on the exercise of free speech and expression and ultimately resulting to the unnecessary invasion of the area of protected freedoms. Special Topics and Free Expression Cases Hate Speech Defined as speech intended to degrade, intimidate, or incite violence or prejudicial action against certain social groupings. Laws against hate speech can be divided into one, those intended to preserve public order, and two, those intended to protect human dignity. Defamation and libel. In Bilo Hinares versus Guevara, the freedom of speech and of expression like all constitutional freedoms is not absolute, while the freedom of expression and the right of speech and of the press are among the most seriously protected rights in the Constitution. Every person exercising them as the civil code stresses is obliged to act with justice, give everyone his due, and observe honesty and good faith. As such, the constitutional right of freedom of expression may not be availed of to broadcast lies or half-truths, insult others, destroy their name or reputation, or bring them into disrepute. A punctilious scrutiny of the Facebook remarks complained of disclosed that they were ostensibly made with malice, tending to insult and tarnish the reputation of complainant and BMGI, calling complainant a quack doctor, reina ng kaplastikan, reina ng payula, and reina ng kapalpakan, and insinuating that she has been braving people to destroy respondents' marks of bad faith and reveals an intention to besmirch the name and reputation of complainant as well as BMGI. Sedition and speech in relation to rebellion. When a fictitious suicide photo and letter were published in newspapers of general circulation expressing disappointment in the Roa's administration and instructing a fictitious wife to teach their children to burn photos of the president, the court held that such act constitutes inciting to sedition. Such a tyrant suggests or incites rebellious conspiracies or riots and tends to turn the people against the constituted authorities or to provoke violence from opposition groups who may seek to silence the writer, which is the, in, uh, is the sum and substance of the offense under consideration. Spoilers versus people. Obscenity or pornography. In Gonzalez versus Katigbak, the test is whether to the average person applying contemporary community standards, the dominant theme of the material taken as a whole appeals to prurient interest. The Hicklean test, judging obscenity by the effect of isolated passages upon the most susceptible persons might well encompass a material legitimately treating with sex and so it must be rejected as unconstitutionally restrictive the freedom of speech and press. On the other hand, the substituted standard provides safeguards adequate to withstand the charge of constitutional infirmity. It is the opinion of this court that to avoid an unconstitutional taint on its creation, the power of respondent board is limited to the classification of films. It can, to safeguard other constitutional objections, determine what motion pictures are for general patronage and what may require either parental guidance or be limited to adults only. That is to abide by the principles that freedom of expression is the rule and restrictions the exemption. The test to repeat to determine whether freedom of expression may be limited is the clear and present danger of an evil of a substantive character that the state has a right to prevent. There should be no doubt that what is feared by or may be traced to the expression complaint of 
the causal connection must be evident. Also, there must be reasonable apprehension about its eminence. The time element cannot be ignored, nor does it suffice if such danger be only probable. There is the requirement of its being well night inevitable. The basic postulate, therefore, as noted earlier, is that where the movies, theatrical productions, radio scripts, television programs, and other such media of expression are... Uh, a concern included as they are in freedom of expression, censorship, especially so if an interproduction is banned, is allowable only under the clearest proof of clear and present danger of a substantive evil to public safety, public morals, public health, or any other legitimate public interest. The law, however, frowns on obscenity. In, in the applicable law, EO number 876, reference was made to Respondent Board applying contemporary Filipino cultural values as standard words which can be construed in analogous manner. Moreover, as far as the question of sex and obscenity are concerned, it cannot be stressed strongly that the arts and letters shall be under the patronage of the state, that is, a constitutional mandate. The ruling is to be limited to the concept of obscenity applicable to motion pictures. It is the consensus of this court that where television is concerned, a less liberal approach calls for observance. This is so because unlike motion pictures where the patrons have to pay their way, television reaches every home where there is a set. Children then will likely be among the avid viewers of the program therein shown. It is hardly the concern of the law to deal with the sexual fantasies of the adult population. It cannot be denied true that the state as parents patrie is called upon to manifest an attitude of caring for the welfare of the young. In uh, PETA versus CE case and uh, in People versus Coutinger, the court laid down the test in determining the existence of obscenity as follows. Whether the tendency of the matter charged as obscene is to deprave or corrupt those whose minds are open to such immoral influence and into whose hands a publication or other article charged as being obscene may fall. Another test so contingent for their declares is that which shocks the ordinary and common sense of men as an indecency. When does a publication have a corrupting tendency or when can it be said to be offensive to human sensibilities? It was uh, People versus Padan Ialuba that introduced the Philippine jurisprudence, the redeeming element that should accompany the work to save it from valid prosecution. In Kalaw Katigwak, represented a marked departure from Kutinger in the sense that it measured obscenity in terms of the dominant theme of the work rather than isolated passages which were central to Kutinger. Kalokatigbak understood moreover to make the determination of obscenity essentially a judicial question and as a consequence to temper the wide discretion on Kutinger had given unto law enforcers. In Miller v. California, which expressly abandoned Massachusetts' established basic guidelines to it, A. Whether the average person applying contemporary standards would find the work taken as a whole appeals to the prurient interest B. Whether the work depicts or describes in a patently offensive way sexual conduct specifically defined by the applicable state law and C. Whether the work taken as a whole lacks seriously literary, artistic, political, or scientific value. The court is not convinced that the private respondents have shown the required proof or to justify a ban and to warrant confiscation of the literature for which mandatory injunction had been sought below. First of all, they were not possessed of a local court order. One, finding the said materials to be pornography. And two, authorizing them to carry out a search and seizure by way of search warrant. 
In Burgos versus Chief of Staff AFE, we countermanded the orders of the Regional Trial Court authorizing the search of the premises of We Forum and Metropolitan Mail to Metro Manila Dailies by reason of a defective warrant. We have greater reason here to reprobate the question read in the complete absence of a warrant valid or invalid. The fact that the instant case involves the obscenity rap makes it uh, no different from Burgos, a political case because, and as we have indicated, speech is speech, whether political or obscene. We make this resume. 1. The authorities must apply for the issuance of a search warrant from a judge and, in their opinion, an obscenity rap is in order. 2. The authorities must convince the court that the materials sought to be seized are obscene and pose a clear and present danger of an evil substantive enough to warrant statute or a state inference and actions. 3. The judge must determine whether or not the same are indeed obscene. The question is to be resolved on a case-to-case -case basis on and on his honor's sound discretion. Fourth, if, in the opinion of the court, probable cause exists, it may issue the search warrant prayed for. Fifth, the proper issue is then brought uh, in the court under Article 2.1 of the Revised Penal Code. And sixth, any conviction is subject to appeal. The appellate court may assess whether or not the property says are indeed obscene. In the case of Madrilios and Gatdula, Supreme Court dismissed the petition on the ground that Ordinance Number 7780 uh, an anti-obscenity law cannot be facially attacked on the ground of overbreath because obscenity is unprotected speech. The overbreath and vagueness doctrine have special application only to free speech cases. They are in act for testing the validity of penal statutes. The doctrine of strict scrutiny, overbreath, and vagueness are analytical tools developed for testing on their faces statutes in free speech cases. They cannot be made to do service when what is involved is a... Criminal statute. With respect to such statute, the established rule is that one to whom the application of a statute is constitutional will not be heard to attack the statute on the ground that implied it. it might also be taken as applying to other persons or other situations in which its application might be unconstitutional. It has been established in the jurisdiction that unprotected speech or low value expression refers to libelous statements, obscenity or pornography, false or misleading advertisement, insulting or fighting words that is those which by their very utterance inflict injury or tend to incite an immediate breach of peace and expression and endangering national security. A litigant who stands charged under law, a law that regulates unprotected speech can still mount a challenge that a state is unconstitutional as it is applied to him or her. In such a case, courts are left to examine the provisions of the law allegedly violated in light of the conduct with which the litigant has been charged. If the litigant prevails, the courts carve away the unconstitutional aspect of the law by invalidating its improper applications on a case-to-case -case basis. Commercial speech in the case of the issues of Apollon versus Comelec, not all speech is treated the same. In Chavez versus Gonzalez, this court discussed that some types of speech may be subject to regulation. Some types of speech may be subjected to some regulation by the state under its pervasive police power in order that it may not be injurious to the equal rights of others or those of the community or society. The difference in treatment is expected because the relevant interests of one type of speech, example political speech, may vary from those of another, example obscene speech. In the U.S., 
false or deceptive commercial speech is categorized as unprotected expression that may be subject to prior restraint. We distinguish between political and commercial speech. Political speech refers to speech both intended and received as a uh, contrib uh, contribution to public deliberation about some issue, fostering informed and civic-minded deliberation. On the other hand, commercial speech has been defined as speech that, has, uh, that does no more than propose a commercial transaction. The expression resulting from the context or the content of the tarpaulin is, however, definitely political speech. National emergencies. The government may impose certain restrictions to protect itself against utterances intended to weaken its power of self-defense. Speech of public officers. In Vasquez versus CA, even if the defamatory statement is false, no liability can attach if it relates to official conduct unless the public official concerned proves that the statement was made with actual malice, that is, with knowledge that it was false or with reckless disregard of whether it was false or not. This is the gist of ruling in the landmark case of New York Times versus Sullivan, which this court has cited with approval in several of its own decisions. This is the role of actual malice. In this case, the prosecution failed to prove not only that the charges made by petitioner were false, but also the petitioner made them with knowledge of their falsity or with reckless disregard of whether they were false or not. Cognate rights. Freedom of assembly. Hinasinto versus CE. Although the Constitution vests in public school teachers the right to organize, to assemble peaceably, and to petition the government for a redress of grievance, there is no like express provision regarding them the right to strike. Rather, the constitutional grant of the right to strike is restrained by the proviso that its exercise shall be done in accordance with law. There is no question as to the petitioner's right to peaceful assembly, to petition the government for a redress of grievances, and for that matter, to organize or form associations for purposes of uh, not contrary to law, as well as to engage in peaceful, consulted activities. These rights are granted by no less than the Constitution, particularly Section 4 and 8 of the Bill of Rights, Section 2, Paragraph 5 of Article 9, and Section 3 of Article 8. As regards the right to strike, the Constitution itself qualifies its exercise with the proviso in accordance with law. This is a clear manifestation that the state may, by law, regulate the use of this right or even deny certain sectors such rights. Executive Order 180, which provides guidelines for the exercise of the right of a government workers to organize, for instance, implicitly endorses an earlier CSA circular which enjoins under pain of administrative sanctions all government officers and employees from staging strikes, demonstrations, mass leaves, work outs and other forms of mass actions which will resort in temporary stoppage of disruption of public service by stating that a civil service law and rules governing consulted activities and strikes in the government service shall be observed. It is also settled in jurisprudence that in general workers in the public sector do not enjoy the right to strike. In another case, BM employees versus PBM. The freedom of expression and of assembly as well as the right to petition are included among the immunities reserved by the sovereign people. The rights of the free expression, free assembly, and petition are not only civil rights but also political rights essential to man's enjoyment of his life, to his happiness, and to his full and complete fulfillment. While the Bill of Rights also protects property rights, the primacy of human rights over property rights is recognized. Property and property, uh, property, and property rights can be lost through prescription, but human rights are imprescriptible. 
In the hierarchy of civil liberties, the rights of free expression and of assembly occupy a preferred position as they are essential to the preservation and vitality of our civil and political institutions and such priority gives these liberties the sanctity and sanction not permitting dubious intrusions. The superiority of this freedom over property rights is underscored by the fact that the mere reasonable or rational relation between the means employed by the law and its subject or, or in its object or purpose that the law is neither arbitrary nor discriminatory nor oppressive would suffice to validate a law which restricts or impairs property rights. On the other hand, a constitutional or valid infringement of human rights requires a more stringent criterion, namely the existence of grave and immediate danger of a substantive evil which the state has the right to prevent. The demonstration held by petitioners was purely and completely an exercise of their freedom of expression in general and of the right of assembly and of petition for address of grievance in particular before the appropriate governmental agency, the chief executive against the police officers of the municipality of Pasig. The respondent company is the one guilty of unfair labor practice because the refusal on the part of the respondent firm to permit all its employees and workers to join the mass demonstration and the subsequent separation of the 80 petitioners from the service constituted an unconstitutional restraint on their freedom of expression, freedom of assembly, and freedom to petition for redress of grievances, the respondent firm committed an unfair labor practice. In David versus Arroyo, assembly means a right on the part of the citizen to meet peaceably for consultation in respect to public affairs. It is a necessary consequence of our Republican institution and complements the right of speech. As in the case of freedom of expression, this right is not be limited, much less denied except on assuming of clear and present danger of a substantive evil that Congress has a right to prevent. In other words, like other rights embracing the freedom of expression, the right to assemble is not subject to previous restraint or censorship. It may not be conditioned upon the prior issuance of a permit or authorization from the government authorities except, of course, if the assembly is intended to be held in a public place, a permit for the use of such place and not for the assembly itself may be validly required. The ringing truth here is that petitioner David et al. were arrested while they were exercising the right to peaceful assembly. They were not committing any crime, neither was there a showing of a clear and present danger that warranted the limitation of the right. Peaceable assembly for lawful discussion cannot be made a crime. The holding of meetings for peaceable political action cannot be proscribed. Those who assist in the conduct of such meeting cannot be branded as criminals on that score. The court likewise considers the dispersal and arrest of the members of KMU et al. unwarranted. Apparently, the dispersal was done merely on the basis of Malacanang Directive cancelling all permits previously issued by local government units. This is arbitrary. The wholesale cancellation of all permits to rally is a blatant disregard of the principle that freedom of assembly is not to be limited, much less denied, except on assuming of a clear and present danger of a substantive evil that the state has a right to prevent. Tolerance is the rule and limitation is the exception. Moreover, under BP 880, the authority to regulate assemblies and rallies is lodged with the local government units. They have the power to issue permits and to revoke such permits after due notice and hearing on the determination of the presence of clear and present danger. Here, petitioners were not even notified and heard on the revocation of their permits. In the case of Bayan versus Hermita on the Public Assembly Act of BP 880, freedom of assembly connotes the right of the people to meet peaceably for consultation and discussion of matters public concern. The sole justification for a limitation of the exercise of this right so fundamental to the maintenance of democratic institution is the danger of a character both grave and eminent of a serious evil to public safety, public morals, public health, or any other legitimate public interest. BP number 880 is not an absolute ban of public assemblies but a restriction that simply regulates the time, place, and manner of the assemblies. This was adverted 
to Enosminia versus Comelec, where the court referred to it as a content-neutral regulation of the time, place, and manner of holding public assemblies. A fair and partial reading of BP 880 thus readily shows that it refers to all kinds of public assemblies that would use public places. The reference to lawful cause does not make it content-based because assemblies really have to be for lawful causes, otherwise they would not be peaceable and entitled to protection. Neither are the words opinion, protesting, and influencing in the definition of public assembly content-based since they can refer to any subject. The words petitioning the government for redress of grievances come from the wording of the Constitution, so its use cannot be avoided. Finally, maximum tolerance is for the protection and benefit of all rallies and is independent of the content of the expression in the rally. Furthermore, the permit can only be denied on the ground of clear and present danger to public order, public safety, public convenience, public morals, or public health. This is a recognized exception to the exercise of the right even under the UDHR and the ICCPR. There is likewise no prior restraint since the content of the speech is not relevant to the regulation. Finally, Section 15 of the law provides for an alternative forum through the creation of freedom parks where no prior permit is needed for peaceful assembly and petition at any time. Considering that the existence of the freedom parks is an essential part of the laws or the law system of regulation of the people's exercise of the right to peaceable assembly and petition, the court is constrained to rule that after 30 days from the penalty of the decision, no prior permit may be required for the exercise of a site in any public park or plaza of a city or municipality until the city or municipality shall have complied with Section 15 of the law. Or without such an alternative forum to deny the permit would in effect to be uh, to deny the right. Advance notices should, however, be given to these authorities to ensure proper coordination and orderly proceedings. As for the CPR, the court rules that in view of the maximum tolerance mandated by BP 880, CPR serves no valid purpose if it means the same thing as maximum tolerance and is illegal if it means something else. Accordingly, what is to be followed is and should be that mandated by the law itself, namely maximum tolerance, which specifically means that the highest degree of restraint that the military, police, and other peacekeeping authorities shall observe during a public assembly or in the dispersal of the, of the same. In IBP versus Atienza, in modifying the permit outright, respondent gravely abused his discretion when he did not immediately inform the IBP who should have been heard first on the matter of his perceived imminent and grave danger of a substantive evil that may warrant the changing of the venue. The opportunity to be heard precedes the action on uh, uh, the permit since the applicant may directly go to court after an unfavorable action on the permit. Respondent failed to indicate how he had arrived at modifying the terms of the permit against the standard of a clear and present danger test, which it bears repeating is an indispensable condition for such modification. It is true that a licensing official here, respondent mayor, is not devoid of discretion in determining whether or not a permit would be granted. It is not, however, unfettered discretion, while prudence requires that there be a realistic appraisal not of what may possibly occur, but of what may probably occur, given all the relevant circumstances still the assumption, especially so where the assembly is scheduled for a specific public place, is that a permit must be for the assembly being held there. The exercise of such a right in the language of Justice Roberts, speaking for the American Supreme Court, is not to be a bridge on the plea that it may be exercised in some other place. Freedom of Association The right to self-organization shall not be denied to government employees. Article uh, 9b, Section 2, Paragraph 5. 
It shall guarantee the rights of all workers to self-organization, collective bargaining and negotiations, and peaceful associated activities, including the right to strike in accordance with law. They shall be entitled to security of tenure, human conditions of work, and a living wage. They shall also participate in policy and decision-making processes affecting their rights and benefits as may be provided by law. Article 13, Section 3, Paragraph 2. In the case Ang Ladlad, LGBT Party versus Kamalik, under a system of laws, every group has the right to promote its agenda and attempt to persuade society of the validity of its position through normal democratic means. It is in the public square that deeply held convictions and differing opinions should be distilled and deliberated upon. Freedom of expression constitutes one of the essential foundations of a democratic society, and this freedom applies not only to those that are people receive, but also to those that offend, shock, or disturb. Any restriction imposed in this sphere must uh, be uh, proportionate to the legitimate aim pursued. Absent any compelling state interest, it is not for the Comelec or this court to impose its views on the populace. Otherwise stated, the Comelec is certainly not free to interfere with speech for no better reason than promoting and promises or discouraging a disfavored one. This position gains even more force if one considers the homosexual conduct is not illegal in this country. It follows that both expressions concerning one's homosexuality and the activity of forming a political association that supports LGBT individuals are protected as well. With respect to freedom of Association for the Advancement of Ideas and Beliefs, in Europe with its vibrant human rights tradition, the European Court of Human Rights has repeatedly stated that a political party may campaign for a change in the law or the constitutional structures of a state if it uses legal and democratic means and the changes it proposes are consistent with democratic principles. The uh, uh, European Court of Human Rights has emphasized that political ideas that challenge the existing order and whose realization is advocated by peaceful means must be, uh, be afforded a proper opportunity of expression through the exercise of the right of association, even if such ideas may seem shocking or unacceptable to the authorities or the majority of the population. A political group should not be hindered solely because it seeks to publicly debate controversial political issues in order to find solutions capable of satisfying everyone concerned. Only if a political party incites violence or puts forward policies that are incompatible with democracy does it fall outside the protection of the freedom of association guarantee. To the extent, therefore, that the petitioner has been precluded because of Comelec's action from publicly expressing its views as a political party and participating on the equal basis in the political process with other equally qualified party list candidates, we find that there has indeed been a transgression of a petitioner's fundamental rights. While Henry Marshall Edilion, to compel a lawyer to be a member of the integrated bar is not violated of his constitutional freedom to associate. Integration does not make a lawyer a member of any group of which he is not already a member. He became a member of the bar when he passed the bar examination. All the integration actually does it uh, does is to provide an official national organization for well-defined but organized and incohesive group of which every lawyer is already a member. Bar integration does not compel the lawyer to associate with anyone. He is free to attend or not the meetings of this integrated bar chapter or vote or refuse to vote in its election as he chooses. The only compulsion to which he is subjected is the payment of annual dues. The Supreme Court, in order to further the state, uh, state's legitimate interest in elevating the quality of professional legal services, may require that the cost of improving the profession in this fashion be shared by the subjects and beneficiaries of the recruited program, the lawyers. Freedom of Information, Section 7. 
The right of the people to information on matters of public concern shall be recognized. Access to official records and to documents and papers pertaining to official acts, transactions or decisions as well as to government research data used as basis for policy development shall be afforded the citizens subject to such limitation as may be provided by law. The right to information is subject to certain recognized restrictions. 1. National security matters and intelligence information. 2. Trade secrets and banking transactions. 3. Criminal matters. and 4. Other confidential information. In Adjong vs. Comelec, we have to consider the fact that in the posting of decals and stickers on cars and other moving vehicles, the candidates needs the consent of the owner of the vehicle. In such a case, the provision will not only deprive the owner who consents to such postings of the decals and stickers the use of his property, but mere or more important in the process, it will deprive that citizen of his right to free speech and information. Freedom to distribute information to every citizen wherever he desires to receive it is so clearly vital to the preservation of a free society that putting aside reasonable police and health regulations of time and manner of distribution, it must be fully preserved. The danger of distribution can so easily be controlled by traditional legal methods leaving to its household or householder the full right to decide whether he will receive stranger or visitors. That stringent provision can serve no purpose but the forbidden by the Constitution, the naked restriction of the dissemination of ideas. In the province of North Cotabato versus GRP, the right of access to public documents as enshrined in both the 1973 Constitution and the 1987 Constitution has been recognized as a self-executory constitutional right. Undoubtedly, the MUAD uh, add a subject of the present cases is a public concern involving as it does not sovereignty and territorial integrity of the state, which directly affects the lives of the public at large. Matters of public concern covered by the right of to information include steps and negotiations leading to the consummation of the contract. The right to information contemplates inclusion of negotiations leading to the consummation of the transaction. Certainly, a consummated contract is not a requirement for the exercise of the right to information. Otherwise, the people can never exercise the right if no contract is consummated. If it, if, if, uh, and if one is consummated, it may also too late for the public to expose its defects. Intended as a splendid symmetry to the right to information under the Bill of Rights is the policy of public disclosure under Section 28 Article 2. The right to information guarantees the right of the people to demand information while Section 28 recognizes the duty of official dam to give information even if nobody demands. To the complete and effective exercise of the right to information necessitates that its complementary provision on public discussion derive the same self-executory nature. Since both provisions go hand in hand, it is absurd to say that a broader right to information on matters public concern is already enforceable, while the correlative duty of the state to disclose its transaction involving public interest is not enforceable until there is an enabling law. Respondents cannot thus point to the absence of unimplementing legislation as an excuse if not affecting such policy. In the EO number no. 3 establishes petitioners' right to be consulted on the peace agenda as a corollary to the constitutional right to information and disclosure. In a case of initiatives for dialogue and empowerment through alternative legal services versus SALM, Unlike the disclosure of information which is mandatory under the Constitution, the other aspect of the people's right to know requires a demand or request for one to gain access to documents and paper of a particular agency. 
Moreover, the duty to disclose covers only transactions involving public interest, while the duty to allow access has a broader scope of information which embraces not only transactions involving public interest, but any matter contained in official communication and public documents of the government agency. Such relief must be granted to the party requesting access to official records, documents, and papers relating to official acts, transactions, and decisions that are relevant to a governmental contract. In Bilica versus Executive Secretary, Case law instructs that the proper remedy to invoke the right to information is to file a petition for mandamus, as explained in the case of Ligaspi versus Civil Service Commission. While the manner of examining public records may be subject to reasonable regulation by the government agency and custody thereof, the duty to disclose the information of public concern and to afford access to public records cannot be discretionary or discretionary on the part of said agency. Certainly, its performance cannot be made contingent upon the discretion of such agencies. Otherwise, the enjoyment of the constitutional right may be rendered nugatory by any whimsical exercise of agency discretion. The constitutional duty not being discretionary, its performance may be or compelled by a writ of Bandamos in a proper case. In Privatization and Management Office versus Strategic Development, the right to information allows the public to hold public officials accountable to the people and aids them in engaging in public discussion leading to the formation of government policies and their effective implementation. By itself, it does not extend to causing the award of the sale of government assets in failed uh, or in failed public meetings, thus assuming the Dong A consortium may be accessed to records of the purpose of validating the indicative price under the right to information. It does not follow that respondent is entitled to the award. This court cannot condone the incongruous interpretation of the court's accord that the public's right to information merits both an explanation of the indicative price and an automatic award of the bill to Dong E Consortium. In Serino versus Committee on Trade and Related Matters of NEDA, the constitutional guarantee of information does not open every door to any and all information, but is rather confined to matters of public concern. It is subject to such limitations as may be provided by law. The state's policy of all public disclosure is restricted to transactions involving public interest and is tempered by reasonable conditions prescribed by law. Two requisites must concur before the right to information may be compelled by writ of mandamus. Firstly, the information sought must be in relation to matters of public concern or public interest. And secondly, it must not be exempt by law from the operation of the constitutional guarantee. As to the first requisite, there is no rigid test in determining whether or not a particular information is of public concern or public interest. Both terms cover a wide range of issues that the public may want to be familiar with, either because the issues have a direct effect on them or because the issues naturally arouse the interest of an ordinary citizen. As such, whether or not the information sought is of public interest or public concern is left to the proper determination of the courts on a case-to-case -case basis here, the position of the uh, petrochemical industry as an essential contributor to the growth of our country's economy easily makes the information sought a matter of public concern or interest. The second requisite is that the information requested must not be excluded by law from the constitutional guarantee. In that regard, the court has already declared that the constitutional guarantee of the people's right to information does not cover national security, matters in intelligence information, trade secrets, and banking, transaction, and criminal matters. Equally excluded from coverage of the constitutional guarantees are diplomatic correspondence, closed-door cabinet meeting, and executive sessions of either House of Congress as well as the internal deliberation of the Supreme Court. 
In Chavez versus Public States Authority, the court has ruled that the right to information does not extend to matters acknowledged as privileged information under the separation of powers, which include presidential conversation, correspondences, or discussions during closed-door cabinet meetings. Likewise, exempted from the right to information are information on military and diplomatic secrets, information affecting national security, and information of investigation of crimes by law enforcement agencies before the prosecution of the accused. Every claim of exemption being a limitation on right constitutionally granted to the people is liberally constituted in favor of disclosure and strictly against the claim of confidentiality. However, the claim of privilege as a cause of poor exemption from the obligation to disclose information must be clearly asserted by specifying the grounds for the exemption. In case of denial of access to the information, it is the government agency concerned that has the burden of showing that the information sought to be obtained is not a matter of public concern or that the same is exempted from the coverage of the constitutional guarantee. We reiterate, therefore, that the burden has been well discharged herein. In BFA versus uh, BCE International, this case is one of first impression involving the production of evidence in an habilitation case where the deliberative process privilege is invoked. Thus, the AP insists that we determine whether the evidence sought to be subpoenaed is covered by the deliberative process privilege. We have held in Chavez versus Public Estates Authority that information, however, on an ongoing evaluation or review of bills or proposals being undertaken by the Building or Review Committee is not immediately accessible under the right to information. While the evaluation of review is still ongoing, there are no official acts, transactions, or decisions on the bills or proposals. However, once the committee makes its official recommendation, there arises a definite proposition on the part of the government from this moment the public's rights to information attaches, and any citizen can access all all the non-proprietary information leading to such definite proposition. The constitutional right to information include official information on ongoing negotiations before a final contract. The information, however, must constitute definite propositions by the government and should not cover recognized exceptions like privileged information, military and diplomatic secrets, and similar matters affecting national security and public order. Deliberate or deliberative process privilege is one kind of privileged information which is within the exceptions of the constitutional right to information. The privileged character of the information does not end when an agency has adopted a definite proposition or when a contract has been perfected or consummated. Otherwise, the purpose of the privilege will be defeated. U.S. courts have established two fundamental requirements for the deliberative process privilege to be invoked. First, the communication must be pre-decisional, that is, antecedent to the adoption of an agency policy. Second, the communication must be deliberative, that is, a direct part of the deliberative process in that or in that it makes recommendations or express opinion on legal or policy matters. It must reflect the give and take of the consultative process. The deliberative process privilege can also be invoked in arbitration proceedings under RA 9285. Deliberative process privilege contains three policy bases. First, the privilege protects candid discussions within an agency. Second, it prevents public confusion from premature disclosure of agency opinions before the agency establishes final policy. And third, it protects the integrity of an agency's decision. The public should not judge official based on information they consider prior to issuing their final decisions. There is no express waiver of information forming part of TFS predecisional deliberative or decision-making process. Section 20.02 does not state that a party to the arbitration is compelled to disclose to the tribunal privileged information in such parties' possession. Rights cannot be waived if it is contrary to law, public order, public policy, morals, or good customs, or prejudicial to a third person with 
Alright, recognized by law, there is a public policy involved in a claim or deliberative process privilege. The policy of open, frank discussion between subordinates and SIP concerning administrative action, thus the deliberative process privilege cannot be waived. As a qualified privilege, the burden falls upon the government agency asserting the liberty process privilege to prove that the information in question satisfies both requirements, predecisional and deliberative. In records of uh, police drug operation, Almora versus De La Rosa, the court is mandated to protect and enforce the people's right to information, the undeniable fact that the thousands of ordinary citizens have been killed and continue to be killed during police drug operations certainly is a matter of grave public concern. Contrary to the claim of the Solicitor General, the requested information and documents do not obviously involve state secrets affecting national security. The information and documents relate to routine police operations involving violations of laws against the sale or use of illegal drugs. There is no showing that the country's territorial integrity, national sovereignty, independence, or foreign relations will be compromised or prejudiced by the release of this information and documents to this court or even to the public. This information and documents do not involve rebellion, invasion, terrorism, espionage, infringement of our sovereignty or sovereign rights by foreign powers or any military, diplomatic or state secret involving national security. It is simply ridiculous to claim that this information and documents on police operations against drug pushers and uses involve national security matters so sensitive that even this court cannot peruse this information and documents in deciding constitutional issues affecting the fundamental right to life and liberty of thousands of ordinary citizens. Right to Information and Confidentiality of Disbarment Proceeding and Rookie Junior versus A Feature Web Stop. Disbarment proceedings are covered by what is known as the Confidentiality Rule. The Confidentiality Rule is intended in part to prevent the use of disbarment proceeding as a tool to damage a lawyer's reputation in the public sphere. As a general principle, speech on matters of public interest uh, should not be restricted. This court recognizes the fundamental right to information which is essential to allow the citizenry to form intelligent opinion and hold people accountable for their action accordingly. Matters of public interest should not be censured for the sake of an unreasonably strict application of the competency rule. Thus, in Pallad v. Solis, this court dismissed claims that the competency rule had been violated considering that the lawyer therein represented a matter of public interest. As a general rule, disciplinary proceedings are confidential in nature until their final resolution and the final decision of this court. However, in this case, the disciplinary proceeding against petitioner become a matter of public concern, considering that it arose from this representation of his client on the issue of video viewerism on the internet. The interest of the public is not uh, in itself, but primarily in his involvement and participation as counsel of Bawahlili in the scandal. Indeed, the disciplinary proceeding against petitioner related to his supposed conduct and statement made before the media in violation of the CPR involving the controversy. Indeed, to keep controversial proceedings shrouded in secrecy would present its own dangers in disbarment proceedings. A balance must be struck due to the demands of the legal profession. The confidentiality rule requires only the proceedings against attorneys be kept private and confidential. It is the proceedings against attorneys that must be kept private and confidential. This would necessarily prohibit the distribution of actual disbarment complaints on the press. However, the rule does not extend so far as it covers the mere existence or pendency of disciplinary action. 
Petitioner assails two acts as violating the confidentiality rule. First, respondents suppose public threats of filing a disbarment case against him and second, respondents public statement that they had filed a disbarment complaint where there are yet to proceedings against a lawyer, there is nothing to keep private and confidential. Respondents threats were made in November 4, 2014 and there was no proceeding to keep private. Remedy for enforcement uh, Union's separate opinion in Bitangkol III versus Comelec. Petitioners seek to determine whether the data received by the Comelec during the transmission of election results originated from the devices recognized by the Comelec. When the subject of the petition for mandamus relates to public rights such as the right to information on matters of public concerns, and when the object of the petition is to compel the performance of a public duty, the petitioner need not, need not show that, that its interest on the result is exclusive. It may be shared by the public in general. For every person's fundamental right, there is a corresponding duty on the part of government to recognize and protect it. In Balmontes versus uh, Belmonte, the right to information goes hand-in-hand hand with the constitutional policies of all public disclosure and honesty in the public service. It is meant to enhance the widening role of the citizenry government decision-making as well as in checking abuse in government. The policy of all public disclosure is enshrined in Article Section 28. Like other constitutional guarantees, the right to information and the policy of public disclosure are not absolute. The people's right to information is limited by the nature and classification of the information sought. The information should involve matters of public concerns and should not be excluded by law from the operation of the guarantee in the manner or in the same manner the policy of public disclosure is limited to transaction involving public interest and is subject to reasonable conditions prescribed by law. Without a doubt, information on the conduct of election is a matter of public concern as it directly affects the lives of the people. The Commission on Elections may be compelled through mandamus to make an inventory of and disclose the MAC and IP addresses and IMSI and IMEI numbers of all electronic devices used during elections to the public. It is mandated to enforce and administer all laws and regulations relative to the conduct of an election. I. Pope Francis versus DBM case. It is not disputed that uh, PDAP disbursement and the recipients of the same constitute a matter of public concern or public interest which are not exempt from the operation of the constitutional guarantee of the right of information. Nevertheless, it is not proper to issue a writ of mandamus in the present case. Where the prisoners fail to establish that respondent actually neglected or refused to provide the information they requested, while respondents has the duty to give the public access to the information, it has the discretion to ascertain the best way to disseminate, publish, or otherwise made available the said information. The information petitioners seek to uh, are already posted on its website, except that petitioners are unsatisfied because the names of the recipients of the PDAP disbursements do not include their middle names, making it more difficult to determine familiar relations for petitioners for process. It bears to stress that petitioners are not able to present any law that specifically prescribes the medium by which respondents shall make such information available to the public, that is, through its website and the form or content of the same, that is, to include middle names of the recipients. There is also no clear legal mandate for respondents to identify familiar relations and or determine nepotism or political dynasties among the recipients of the PDAP disbursement. In fact, as of yet, there is even no law that particularly defines and governs political dynasty.